Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. So I want to open the Bible this morning to a uh, very straightforward verse of Scripture. Romans 1, and I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. In other words, listen up, everybody. i got something to say. That I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. Why? In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, I'm coming to you and I've, I've tried to come to you again and again and he talks about it in Romans, but the devil has prevented me from getting to you and the purpose and reason why I'm coming to you is that as the Father sent the Son, God has sent me as the Apostle Paul to come to you for the purpose of reaping a harvest amongst you. And then he says a very, very convicting and powerful statement. Verse 14, I am under obligation. Wow. I am un- under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul uses a phrase here, I'm under obligation. When you're under obligation, you can no longer do as you like. Most translations translate this Phrase, I am a debtor. I am in debt to the known Gentile world, Paul was saying, to people who are both wise and people who are foolish. I am, when, when, when you start using accounting language, do we have any accountants in the midst this morning? Too shy. When you start using accounting language, When you owe creditors, then a certain amount of money, then you are not free to spend your money any way that you like until your debt is paid. Can I hear an amen this morning? I know what it's like. I put on Facebook this week um, a picture of the family homestead that I grew up in as a child. Magnificent 10-bedroom, carved out of native timber, homestead, the most magnificent home. As a child, it was an incredible treasure. You, we used to push on all the panels for the secret walls, you know, that, that were there. And there was just rooms galore. It was just like you could explore it every time you went through the house. It was an amazing place. But I know what this statement means in terms of my family, because my family lost that property. My father became a bankrupt. And when you become bankrupt, in other words, when what you owe you can't possibly pay your creditors. You are in complete obligation to the extent of losing everything that you have in order to pay the debt. And here Paul is saying, I live my life in such a way that it's no longer my own because I've received the gospel. I now have a debt to pay to all of those who have not yet received the gospel. 
that I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm under obligation to serve the rest of humanity that hasn't yet received the gospel. Come in. Has not yet received the gospel. <laughs> Welcome into church this morning. <laughs> David Platt puts it like this. David Platt puts it like this. He says, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. What a way to phrase it. So if we're saved today, if we know Jesus Christ, then we are under obligation to find that zone that you saw Pastor Phil in this morning, nearly shedding tears because he's seen millions upon millions of people who don't yet know Jesus. And he realizes that he's got to live his life in such a way that he's on a mission to serve the rest of the world with the weight of obligation, that we're a debtor to the rest of humanity. And that's what I want to talk about today. We, we are called to be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And unfortunately, because of the way the world is, you know, the world is set up heavily to appeal to me, myself, and I. And so it's set up for consumerism. The world is set up in such a way that all of humanity is in consumption mode. The world is there to serve my needs. The world is there for me. That I am the centre of my world and everybody must be there to serve me. If you have a look at this diagram up on screen, there's two different perspectives of church that currently exist side by side today. There's what we call the consumer church. And the consumer church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs and to have the professionals teach their children about God. And the slogan is, I go to church. However, there's another paradigm that I want you to see today and it's called the missional church. A body of people sent on a mission to gather in the community, to worship, to provide encouragement to one another, basically to reach the world, to live the way that Paul lives in Romans 1.14, to be a debtor to the rest of humanity. And I want to tell you something. It is so easy, even for me as a pastor and someone who's served the Lord for such a long time, it's so easy to enter the comfort zone. It's so easy to live your life in such a way that you push out the knowledge of the fact that many of the people who live next door to you in the same street as you are on their way to hell, except they meet Jesus Christ and come to know Him as your Saviour. You can't win everybody to the Lord, but you can win somebody to the Lord. And you can live your life in such a way that you're in continual presentation mode. What does that mean? That opportunities somehow are going to come to me to build a bridge of friendship with somebody in order to be able to share the good news. What's the good news? that they can have eternal life, that they don't have to be eternally separated from God forever and ever in the lake of fire, which is what the Scripture says to all those who have not received Christ. That is the ultimate destination. Very few people these days talk about hell. Very few people these days are prepared to use the language of the Bible, like short, small words like sin, like hell. The eternal destination of all those who are lost who haven't yet received Jesus Christ. 
And I'm not going to do this message justice today, but I want to do the very best that I can to wake us up to the fact that we don't want to live in that consumer-orientated paradigm of church. Church is not about providing religious goods and services to those who are already saved. We exist for the mission of God, to reach as many as we can with whatever means that God has given to us. We don't go to church, we are the church. Amen? If we have Jesus Christ in our lives, we are the church. And Jesus said this, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you today. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me. He's now, Jesus received the baton from the Father for his mission. And now he says to all those who follow you, I'm passing on the baton now of sentness. That means you have a destination. That means you have divine appointments that God is going to send you to. Because just as the Father sent the Son, now the Son is sending and commissioning those who follow Jesus Christ into all the world today. A guy called Christopher Wright, and I like this quote, which is why I want to use it this morning. He said, God's mission is what fills the gap between the scattering of the nations in Genesis 12 and the healing of the nations in Revelation 22. So in Genesis 12, they built a tower called Babel. And man was so powerful with one vision and one mind and one heart that God had to scatter them. He had to put different languages amongst them and he scattered them to the nations. Between that time and the time the Bible says the healing of all the nations in Revelation 22 is the time of mission. There's a mission happening on planet Earth where ultimately at the end of the day, the nations will be healed and they will be healed through a victorious church who has taken seriously the call and the mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel and be a church on mission. Thank you, Father. Jesus didn't give a mission to his church. He formed a church for the mission. And that's really important to understand that this morning. You know, we often think of missionaries as God's super servants, Jesus' Navy SEALs. That's what missionaries are. But did you know that the word missionary is never even in the Bible? Did you realize that today? The fact is, is that we're all called to be super saints. That we're all sent ones. Not just somebody who's going to another country that we give the title missionary to. God has called us to reach the kindies. God has called us to be on the, the PPTA boards. God has called us to be in the midst of the community that he's planted us in order to be a sent one, to share the good news and to be Christ, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Amen, church, this morning. There's no special class of sent ones. We're all in the same bracket. We're all sent by God today. So there's no use, don't pray this prayer. Don't let me ever hear you praying the prayer. Lord, would you please show me your will for my life? You already have the will of God. God has given you his will. And that will is wherever you are to be a saint, son and daughter of the Most High God. You don't have to be given a tag or a label in order to be productive for Jesus Christ. Wherever you, God has positioned you, your street, your neighborhood, your, sub, your uh, suburb, you have a mission, and God's will is clear to you today to go, to go, to be sent.
in the name of Jesus. You know, there's two perspectives I want to uh, use, metaphors really, the f- of, of how people see the church. And the first one is a cruise liner. Some Christians see the church as a cruise liner, offering luxuries for the whole family, sports, entertainment, childcare services, business networking. They show up at church and they ask this, can the church improve the religious quality of my life? Does it have good family ministry facilities? Does the pastor preach funny, time-conscious messages so that I can get out of here and get on with my day? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) What about the music in this church? Does it really suit my needs? And by the way, if if the church ever ceases to cater to my personal preferences, well, there's plenty of other good cruise ships in the harbour that I can go to. Some of them, the music is much better than the music that we have in this church, and the preaching's probably way better. So I think, in fact, what some people do these days is they, they go, well, cruise ship A has great music. So I'll, I'll attend the worship services at cruise ship A, but cruise ship B has fantastic fellowship and Bible studies. So at midweek, I'll go to cruise ship B and attend the ministry Bible uh, and and. and Cruise Ship C has a great youth program, so I'll put my kids in, in the great youth group so that my, all my family needs are taken care of and catered for fully. The other concept or perspective of the church I'd like to give you is one of an aircraft carrier. You know, an aircraft carrier wants the battle to happen as far away from it as possible. You don't want the battle happening around the aircraft carrier. Because once that aircraft carrier is sunk, every plane that's on that thing is going to go down with it. And the concept of the metaphor of the church I want you to grab a hold of today is that God wants to equip us on that aircraft carrier. He wants to fuel us up. He wants to teach us how to fly in the spirit. And he wants us to go and take the battle to the world and win as many people as we can, being strategically involved with the Holy Spirit and where he wants to send us and go and take the battle to the devil. You know, we talk about, we talk about, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Think about that metaphor. Sometimes we're thinking about the devil coming to our gate and trying to push open our gate. That's not the metaphor that Jesus gave. A gate is a defensive mechanism. It's to, war, it's to keep those safe on the other side. And what Jesus has said, I want the church to be on the offensive position. I want them to take the battle to the devil. And I want them to assault the gates of hell and break the gates of hell down and go through the gates and plunder hell and populate heaven. And that's the aircraft carrier metaphor, being sent out into our communities and into the nations of the world to assault the very gates of hell. So what's it going to take for us to see a shift from consumer church to missional church? Is anyone feeling uncomfortable yet this morning? All right, this is great. Praise God. We're into it today. Maybe it's just more you're like stunned mullets and you're just kind of just thinking about it a little bit there today. Well, there's three shifts I want to give you this morning that are going to have to take place. And let's be, you know that word that Pastor Viv had this morning from the interpretation of tongues this morning? 
Come before God with your true self, not your Sunday mask. What does that mean? That means you have to be honest with how things really are, not how you think they are or how you want them to be. But open the Bible, which the, which the Word says, the Bible's like a mirror. When you look into it, you see an accurate position of yourself, if you've been honest. And this morning, I want to give us three shifts that are going to have to occur for us to be that church. You know, when I left the mega church, when I left the large congregations to come and plant a new church, the reason I did it was because this is, and this is no real, no fault of anybody's, and I'm just speaking off the cuff here, of anybody's. But you see, the larger you get, you need to build bigger barns, bigger facilities, more equipment, and what actually happens is, and this is what's going to happen in these last days if we don't get missional about the church, is that there'll be a few large mega church that will continue to take on those who are already saved and become bigger and bigger. And what Christ is calling us to do is to raise up missional communities of believers who realize that our mission doesn't happen here on Sunday, but our mission happens out there on Monday. That God equips us to be shining lights in a very depraved world that when I turn up to work on Monday morning, that I've got some salt on me and I've got some light shining through me where people are going to start asking questions about my life because of the way that I live it. Right now I'm intentionally building an Acts 29 map. You know what an Acts 29 map is? You know how many chapters there are in Acts? 28. So we want the story of Acts the book of Acts to continue, then we've got to create our own chapter of the ongoing miraculous work of Jesus Christ in the world today. And an Acts 29 map is, is when you begin to draw a very simplistic map of where your life exists from Monday through to Sunday. Where are the places that you regularly visit? The kindergartens, the corner dairy, the cafes, the study institutions your place of work and employment. And you begin to draw on that map and then you begin to pray for every position point on that map for divine opportunities for you to meet those that need Jesus Christ. And you begin to intentionally look for opportunities in which to find people that don't yet know Jesus. You might say, but I suck as an evangelist. I've, I've never actually led anyone to Christ. Friends, I want to tell you the secret to evangelism is getting people to actually buy into you. To actually look at the way that you live your life. To gain some credibility with them. And trust is formed. And as soon as you have the bond of trust in people's lives, you can walk in and share anything you like and they'll start listening to you because they respect you. So right now I'm building, I'm building bridges of respect and trust in my community where I'm, I moved there six months ago and a, and, and a great thing happened to us. We were, we were out at dinner at our local cafe, Viv and I, on Friday night and we've been building a relationship with the couple that own the restaurant. Can't do it too often because I'll be broke. But anyway. <laughs> and so we've been, and you know what? We finished our meal and I went to stand up and she came up behind me and she put her hands on my shoulders and she pushed me back down in the chair. She said, please don't go yet. Because she loves us hanging out with her. 
Watch this space. Because they're just so open right now because we've taken the time to build that trust and build that bond uh, in their lives. So the first shift is that we're going to have to get out of being an attender to becoming a disciple. Church is never about attending. I'm so glad that you're here today to listen to this message. And Jesus is glad that you're attending church today. But friends, we've got another six days of the week that our lives exist around. And to live those lives is that we've got to shift out of being an attender, giving our tithes, turning up to church, and then patting ourselves on the back and thinking that we've been a Christian. Is anyone with me this morning? What it means is, that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make attenders. No, he said, go and make disciples. Disciples, not attenders. And so we've got to make that shift from becoming an attender to becoming a disciple. It's a mindset shift that God wants us, because you can't make a disciple unless you've become a disciple. We reproduce the seed that's in our own lives. It reproduces after its own kind, which is what Genesis teaches us. So when we have the seed of true discipleship with us, well, how do I know if I'm a disciple? Can I ask you this? What kind of fruit is growing off the branches of your life? Are people coming and having a look at your fruit and saying, I like that, and picking pieces of the fruit off your life because they've seen something that's growing, that's evident in your life. And we all know that there's the dramatic change that happens when we come to Jesus. And you know, for a lot of people who observe your life, as it was for me when I came to Christ, everybody around me thought it was a fad. 30 years later, here I am still serving Jesus and following the Lord. It's more than a fad, but they had to see something genuine to buy into the fact that what I was telling them was real. And it was six months after I came to Christ that the guy that I used to nearly, we used to nearly get into this, nearly every day, we'd be at loggerheads with each other before I was a Christian. And he saw such a dramatic change in my life, he gave his life to the Lord six months after I got saved. But it took him six months to buy into it. To actually see this wasn't some sort of fad, some sort of short passing thing that was going on in my life. So what's the fruit of your life? Are you praying for other people? Are you stepping out in faith and doing the works that Jesus said? Lay hands on the sick, watch them recover. Taking those opportunities to be able to tell people that you're a follower of Jesus. You know, ministering, caring for one another. Loving one another. That's the fruit. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. What sort of fruit is growing off? That will tell you whether you're an attender or whether you've become a disciple. So let's shift our mindset. that That doesn't mean I don't want you here on Sundays. Because this is this is how I like in Sundays. You see, in this church we make room for the spirit. Do you know why? Because he actually knows what's going on in all of our lives. I don't. So many churches shut off to the prophetic now because they're too afraid and too scared of what will happen. All the weirdos and everything else, they'll all come out. And sometimes that does happen. Happens whenever you make a platform and you make invitation for people. But the thing is, is that the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you're going through 
And he's the only one with the authority to be able to release that into a service. And what he said was, I'm going to use the body. Because the Spirit, if you know Jesus, the Spirit's in you. And therefore the Spirit can speak to you. How many of you got blessed with some of the prophetic words this morning that came? Can I see your hand today? They were meaningful to you. Do you know why? Because they were authored by the Holy Spirit. And so that's another fruit of being a disciple is moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and being a blessing to other people this morning. The second shift is that we've got to move from come to church to go into all the world. Amen? Because you go to most prayer meetings, and this is the prayer that you'll hear. Lord, bring them into church, I pray. God's not going to answer that prayer. Do you know why? Because he's told us to go. (laughs) The back row's alive and well this morning. Hallelujah. So you see, if I'm living my life in such a way that I'm completely isolated to having a Christian audience only, then I've landlocked myself. And I can't actually carry out the commands of Jesus if I've isolated myself. Because I work in the church, it was easy for me in the secular world to have ongoing opportunities of sharing the gospel. But as soon as you become a pastor, you're dealing with Christians all the time. And so for me, I have to intentionally strategize with the Holy Spirit where to go in order to meet people that don't know Him. And maybe you have to do that too. I don't know what your world is like, but God does. But we can't bring this model. It's called, the world calls it attractional church. This is how attractional church works. We put everything into Sundays. And I'm not about sloppiness. I hate sloppiness. I think if you've taken the time to come to this service on Sunday, then we need to be prepared to make sure that you have an opportunity to meet with God. But I tell you what I don't like. I'm not into full-scale production every week where we're putting every last cent in every last hour and involving everybody's time in this place just to put on a, a production on Sundays to attract the masses who are normally already saved to come to our church. That's called the attractional model. The missional model is the opposite of the attractional model. This is what the missional model says. The missional model says Sunday is like half-time in a game of rugby or a game of soccer, whatever's your sport. And we come into the changing rooms and we have a chat. And the coach equips and we have a team talk. And we meet every all the other players that are on the team. And then we realise we've got the second half to play. That we've got to go out on Monday and we've got to play the game. And we've got to get into the game in order to win the game. Amen? And so we've got to break the shift from come to church to go into all the world. So look for those opportunities that God has given to you. And the reason why we've got to do this, friends, is simply this. Is that back back in the 20th century, I was born in the 20th century. The 60s. The 60s. Not early 60s, you know, mid-60s, mid-60s. 
In fact, they say that the baby boomer generation finished in November 1964, and Generation X started in December 1964. So I'm Generation X, because I was born in December 1964. I'm not one of those old baby boomers. I'm a new Generation X. <laughs> Come on, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But let me tell you something. Generation Y and Millennials, which are the kids that have been born after 2000, in New Zealand, they don't know anything about church. They don't, know, they don't have a clue what we do here on Sunday. And you know what else? They don't care. The only way they're ever going to come into this place here is if you go out and you bring them. It's called a post-Christian era. We are no longer in a Christian era, which was defined by the fact there was a common shared language across society where they understood the values, the Ten Commandments, they understood there was a Bible, they understood all the kind of common language of the Bible, the Christianese, if you like. That generation has gone. It no longer exists. And the nuns, do you know what the nuns are? I'm not talking about those ones that wear those funny hats. And those, those garments, I'm told, you know what the nuns are? The, the nuns are the ones that tick in the census, no religious affiliation. The nuns are growing rapidly in our nation and other Western nations, which means they're like a brand new people group that need to be reached with the gospel. They have no religious connections whatsoever with the church. And friends, as much as you pray, bring them in here on a Sunday, they are not going to walk off the street and come into this place unless they know a Christ-like person like you that they can be introduced to and you can lead them to the Lord or you can lead them in that place of friendship where they're prepared to come. So let's not pray, Lord, bring them in. Let's pray, Lord, get us out. So let's break that uh, mentality there of come to church to go into all the world. The last one this morning is we've got to shift from missions to mission. Oh, are you doing missions in this church? It's actually a word that young people relate to these days. You know, when they go out and do something, Nora, we're going out on a mission. That's the word that they use these days. It's a completely different uh, meaning to what we understand it today. But for years, the church, most modern churches have a missions department. And at best, 10% of the church will be involved in the missions department, even giving into that department. And we're robbing ourselves of the truth of Scripture when we consign our going to a 10% missions department in the life of the church where we can satisfy our sense of mission by giving a monthly offering into the missions account. We've got to cut the S off missions and turn it to mission. We are on a mission from God. We are a missional people that God is raising up to go into all the world. And so our mission is wherever God has placed you, whatever location, whatever area that God has given to you to fulfill his call. You know, in Genesis 12, let me read this. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go 
There you go. There's the first go in the, go in the Scriptures. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. In other words, go from everything that's comfortable to you. Everything that's familiar, I want you to leave it behind. And I'll take you to the land that I will show you, verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. Listen to this, and I will bless you. The blessing comes in the going. How many of you believe that Abraham would have been blessed if he stayed? Not me. He had a divine command from God to go. And it was in the going that his name would be made great, and it was in the going that the blessing of God would come attached to his life. Remember, don't be thinking, oh, nations, necessarily this morning. The going could be down the street and round the corner to somebody that God's laid on your heart. So that you will be a blessing. Here it is. Top line blessing. I will bless you. Bottom line blessing so you can bless others. The blessing is always meant to be like a river, not like a dam. A dam, the water runs into it, but there's no outlet. God has called us to be a river. He'll bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. The Abrahamic covenant. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The writer of Psalm 67, he reflects on the promise of Abraham and he says this, Psalm 67 verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Don't you love that? That's one of the benedictions. But listen to this, Selah, verse 2, That your way may be made known on earth, your saving power, among all nations. There you've got it. Black and white this morning. So that your way, the way of the God of Israel, Jehovah, El Shaddai, El Elyon, the great God, Yahweh, so that His way can be made known in all the earth to every nation. That's the heart of God. And that's why as a church, we're not measuring ourselves on our seating capacity, but on our sending capacity. Because missional churches are not all about bottoms on chairs and money in the offering. We're all about getting as many people activated into the sentness of the call that God has given to them. (laughs) Hallelujah. Have a look at Larry Walters on screen. Good old Larry. 2nd of July, 1982. Larry was a bit of an eccentric man. He always wanted to fly. And uh, you, for those of you that were around in the 80s, this was broadcast around the world. What Larry did was him and his girlfriend went to a helium weather balloon shop with a false thing from his employment saying they were doing something to make a movie and he bought 45 weather helium balloons and joined them all on long strings and connected them to his lawn chair an ordinary patio chair (laughs) he had it 
He had it tied down with ropes to the back of his ute. And then he loaded on board for his journey. And his, his desire was that he wanted a new perspective of his neighborhood. So he thought he'd float 30 to 50 feet above his neighborhood to get a new perspective on his neighborhood. So he says, honey, cut the rope. So she cuts the rope and he zooms up to 16,000 feet. On board, he's got a sandwich, a six-pack of beer, a CB radio, CB, which is now very limited with who he can make contact with at 16,000 feet. And he's got a BB gun. You know what a BB gun is? The little round pellets, you know? You know, little round pellets. And his strategy was simple. Once I get up to around 50 feet, when, I want to, when I've finished looking at the neighborhood from a different perspective, I'll just shoot a few of the balloons and I'll slowly come back down to earth. The problem was he was so shocked at the speed of his ascent that he was too scared to shoot any of the balloons because he thought that it could, could just drop him out of the sky and of course at 16,000 feet he's going to die. So this is... so. The pilot of the first 737 that spots Larry, because he's now, he's now drifted into LAX airspace. That's the airport approach to Los Angeles airport. The, the pilot says to air control, well, I see what looks like a perfectly still man sitting in it. Is it, is it a lawn chair? And I think he's holding a rifle. <laughs> So finally, Larry gets the courage and he shoots a couple of the balloons and slowly he begins to descend. But he also accidentally lets go of the pellet gun, the BB gun. So he's now just completely reliant on the slow ascent. He's now drifting across Long Beach, California and into the neighborhood directly into power lines. So his strings on the balloons, of which his lawn chair with him sitting in is now underneath the power lines, takes out power for a whole neighbourhood for half an hour. <laughs> he finally jumps out of the lawn chair and falls back down onto the ground and is immediately arrested by the Long Beach police force with a $4,500 fine, which he managed to get reduced to $1,500. And so the journalists came and they said to him, they asked him a, a few questions. <laughs> Larry, were you scared? Yes. Actually, he said a little bit more than that, but we're in a church meeting, so I can't actually tell you what he said. <laughs> Larry, would you do it again? No. He's a quick learner. Larry is a quick learner. Larry, why did you do it? He said, I just got tired of always sitting around. Now, do not go out to your nearest weather balloon shop and try and imitate Larry, because that's exactly what happened. From this moment on, this is what actually happened. People all over the world, when they saw the news report, began to copy Larry, and there was lots of not good things that took place. <laughs> so here's my point, friends, is that do you sometimes get tired of sitting around? We need some more adventure in our lives. 
And the kind of adventure that God's got stored up for us is God-type adventures. Some mission activity from the Holy Spirit that's going to get us out of our lawn chairs, uh, out of our patio seats and up into the air on an adventure with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Philip goes to Samaria in Acts chapter 8. The Lord sends him. Everywhere in the book of Acts, you'll notice this. The disciples and early apostles were sent to go places. He turns up, a revival breaks out. Literally, hundreds of people come to Christ. Miracles start happening. Supernatural healing start happening. The place breaks open. Do you know what scripture says about this event? I want you to look at verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. From one man hearing the voice of God and going to a foreign city that didn't know Jesus Christ, a revival breaks out and the Bible describes what happened in that season and time that across the whole of the city there was great joy as a result of what was going on. Chapter 9, fast forward to a, a lady called Dorcas, whose real name was, it's an unfortunate name, whose real name was Tabitha. And Tabitha, Tabitha is a dedicated woman who's gifted in craft. And she makes jackets and blankets and coats and she gives them away to her community and she's much loved by her community. And then the Bible says in verse 36 and 37, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. The woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Listen to this. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. They find out that Peter, the rock, apostles in town, they call him because they've just got enough faith in their hearts for a God type of activity called a resurrection. They call Peter. Peter comes and look what happens. Verse 39, Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. Listen to this. And all the widows stood by him weeping showing the tunics and garments which she had made while she was with them. I want to ask you two questions as we finish the message this morning. First question is this. Can we really say that Auckland City is alive with joy because of our ministry? That this city, let's just say northwest Auckland, can we really say that Northwest Auckland is experiencing supernatural joy because of our ministry in the community? Come on. We're 100 people here this morning. Philip was one man. Going under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the second question I want to ask us today is that if we were to die as a church, 